This is episode 79, and today I wanted to go over typical fine motor skills of kids who are between the ages of 3 and 4 years old. Before I get started on today's topic, I would like to ask for your feedback on the continuing education units for this show. I want to know, is anyone having trouble figuring out how to get the tests, where to find them, and how the process works? I am working on adding a specific page on my website where you can find the links for only the CEUs and you can find them directly. Um, As of right now, you can find the yellow oval buttons that say add to cart under the specific episodes where I'm able to offer CEUs. The add to cart button takes you to PayPal where you can purchase the test for that episode. I will email the test to you once I get the notice that you've paid for it. And after you complete the test, all you have to do is email it back to me, and I will email the certificate of completion for the continuing education units to you, as long as you get at least four out of the five questions on the test correct. You can purchase the test before you listen to the episode if you want, so you can answer the questions as you listen, or you can get it after you listen to the episode and answer them later. It doesn't matter to me, and honestly, I won't know the difference anyway. But let me put it this way. You are already listening to the shows. You might as well get some credit for it. I will also mention this. Since my shows are 30 minutes long, each one is worth half of a contact hour, which means that you should um, get two of the shows in order to get one full hour if you need a full hour. If you only need a half of a contact hour, then one will will get the job done. Please just send me an email or message me on Instagram if you are having trouble with figuring this all out. I am also willing to just send a, an invoice through PayPal directly to your email for specific episodes if you just let me know which ones you want to purchase the test for. Not all of my shows are eligible for CEUs. I recently started offering this on my newer shows, so check the website or the show notes on your podcast app to see if the episode that you are listening to offers them. Now, moving on to the topic for today, I want to talk about five of the most common fine motor skills for kids between the age three to four years. This is an age in life where kids are spending time in preschools and daycare or staying at home with a parent or other family member. Many of you listening to this show work with kids or are interested in working with kids of this age. If you are like me, working with kids, you might tend to focus on what each individual child is doing right now, and you just move ahead with what comes next in the developmental sequence. It can be difficult to focus on what a typical three-year-old is able to do, because when we're working with kids, generally, it's because they have delays in some area or areas of development, but we need to have a good understanding of what is considered typical for that age, so we know what is appropriate to work on with them and to encourage them to learn. Remember, as always with my shows, I will be referring to what a typical three-year-old should be doing, but that I do understand that not all kids are exactly the same, and some do things earlier or later than others. 
This is meant to be a general guide of fine motor skills that we are looking for in this age. The first fine motor skill on the list is looking at how they were doing with their drawing or writing skills. They should have the ability to draw a circle by themselves, meaning they don't need to see you draw a circle first or look at a model of a circle before they can draw one. They will just know what a circle is and be able to draw it. Now sometimes we have to start with showing them the model of the circle first, but they do eventually get it. Before this, they are able to make continuous circular motions or scribbles, and they learn how to make only one circle around by copying a circle that you draw first, but that a lot of times the, en the ends of the circles may not quite match up exactly. But during the three-year-old time, they will be able to draw a circle and make the beginning and ending points meet pretty accurately. They will also be able to draw a cross or a plus sign symbol, by copying one that is already drawn for them. Before this skill, they are usually able to imitate drawing this cross by watching someone else do it first. But during the three to four year age, they should be able to just draw it by looking at one that's already made for them. I would expect the lines to be straight and horizontally and vertically placed, and they should cross in the middle of both lines. As far as grasp on their writing utensils, during this time they move from a pronated grasp, which involves the whole hand with the thumb closer towards the writing surface and the pinky side of their hand towards the ceiling, to a more adaptive grasp using their fingers and thumb rather than gripping it and making a fist around the tool. They start to move to use more of the fingers closer to the fingertips and thumb with the pinky side of their hand also closer to their writing surface now. There is more movement in the wrist and not as much coming from the shoulder as they did in the previous year or two. I do try to encourage this more adaptive grasp, but it is not something that I would hound them about every time you see them if they're still using a pronated or whole hand grasp sometimes. I tend to look more at things like are they able to keep a hold of the pencil or the crown? Or are they constantly dropping it or putting it back down after only marking with it for a brief moment? Or are they constantly breaking the lead or the crowns from pushing too hard when coloring? Um, kids at this age will still switch between right and left hands, although you might start to see more of a preference for one or the other. You might also start to see a difference in their grasp development between right and left hands. One may show a slightly more adaptive grasp sooner than the other, which could indicate that that is going to be the dominant hand. This does lead me to our second fine motor skill for this age, which is scissor skills. I see kids flip-flop between hands with the scissors too, but usually during this time frame, one of the hands starts to become noticeably better than the other one at cutting. I'm going to say this next sentence and then also clarify something. Three-year-olds should be able to use scissors to cut across a piece of paper and be able to cut the paper into two pieces. With that being said, there are a lot of toddlers out there who have not had much exposure to using scissors before. 
if that is the case, I would not expect them to be able to pick up a pair of scissors and cut across the paper by themselves. They will probably need some time and practice to start with learning how to use the scissors, figuring out how to put their fingers and thumb in the correct places, how to open and close them, and how to make snips on paper while also holding the paper with their other hand. But because we are talking about what is typical for the age, we would expect that these kids would already have been exposed to scissors sometime in the previous year. And now they're moving on to more advanced scissor skills like cutting across the paper by themselves. This would include knowing how to pick up the scissors and put their fingers and thumb in correctly on their own as well. Once they are able to cut the paper in half, they will start cutting across the paper on a line or really close to the line. And by the end of this age, they should be starting to cut across paper on a curved line, kind of like a semicircle or even maybe even a circle depending on their skill level. This is a fun age to start doing activities with cutting out pages of magazines or printed coloring sheets from the internet or coloring books and things like that and gluing the pictures that they can cut out onto construction paper and making a collage or some other kind of artistic pictures. This is fun because they don't have to be exact with their cutting, just generally trying to cut around pictures and getting more practice with turn, turning the paper and the scissors and managing where to put their hand to hold the paper and also moving the scissors in a forward direction. Plus, then gluing it on something else makes it have more of a point than just randomly cutting things. The third fine motor skill to talk about today is lacing beads on a string using a simple pattern. You can buy these online or just make your own patterns with beads or pasta or whatever else you want to use. This age group is typically able to use smaller sized beads or pasta for stringing, but now we are adding this new element of following the pattern. This could be something like all the same shape of beads like cubes or spheres, but then alternating colors like red and yellow. So the shapes could be the same and only the color pattern changes. So they might do red, yellow, red, yellow, red, yellow. And then after that type of sequence, you might do something like red, red, yellow, red, red, yellow. Of course, you aren't only going to use red and yellow, but those are just the two colors that I picked for this example. If you don't have a pattern ready-made with your bead set, you can just make the pattern on your own string with beads and then see if they can make one with their own with their string just like yours. As they get closer to the end of the third year, they might be able to follow a pattern from a two-dimensional model, which is where I usually either draw the beads on a piece of paper, just draw the shape with the color, or if possible, make the design of beads on a string and make a copy on a color copier. Not everyone has access to those, so you might have to just get creative with your drawing skills. I will have some examples of these types of items on my website today so you can see what I'm talking about if you're having trouble picturing it. The fourth skill for today involves blocks. In the earlier ages, we talk about block designs also, 
But during those times, the kids are imitating building the block pattern. So first you build one, then they build one to look just like it. In this age range, we look to see if they can build the block designs without watching us do it first. One of the skills they should be able to do is build a tower by stacking more than nine blocks tall. And when I'm doing this with kids, I use those smaller wooden cubes that are about one inch in in diameter. These are a great size for their little hands, and they really do have to learn to balance them in order to get them to stack up taller. Legos and Mega Blocks and things like that are also great block games for them um, to play with. But when I want to see if they have the fine motor ability, not only to place the blocks on top of each other, but to line them up so they will balance for a taller tower. This skill shows me things like eye-hand coordination, depth perception, and developmental grasp when they pick up and hold each block in a certain way. I would expect at this age for them to be holding the blocks more with their fingertips and thumb. They might still use three or four fingers to grasp the blocks, but I want to see that they are grabbing them using their fingers more and not really their palm and their whole hand as much. Beyond the tower stacking at this age, they can build a three-block bridge on their own, again without watching you build one first. This is where you have two blocks on the bottom with um, a space in between them and a third block on top that sits partially on top of each of the bottom blocks so that the space goes underneath it to make it look like a bridge. For this one, the two-year-olds usually still need to watch you build it first and then they imitate the design. But in the three-year-olds, they can build it on their own or even if you build one, and then they just copy after you've completed yours. And they can look at it, problem solve it, and figure out how you did it. The final block skill for this age group is building a block design by looking at a two-dimensional image of the design. This is similar to what I was talking about with the stringing beads and the patterns. You can do this also by drawing a block design on a piece of paper by making squares in different patterns. At first, just recreating the placement of the blocks using actual blocks, then later also following the color pattern of, of blocks in the stacked design. So if there are two red blocks and two blue ones, they would not only imitate the pattern, but also have the colored blocks in the correct place. I will also put some examples of these on the website for you to see. There are block pattern cards that you can purchase so you don't have to come up with your own if you don't want to. But on the fly, which is how I end up doing a lot of my activities, you can just draw them. The final skill for this age range involves using tactile cues to match or find objects. Using tactile cues means they're touching the objects with their hands and not necessarily using their vision to identify the details of objects. It is very interesting to me to talk about this skill starting at such a young age. We tend to think about this more when working with adults 
especially with adults who have had a stroke or some other type of neurological impairment. Something that causes damage to the nerves as it relates to the ability to detect sensations of the hand and arm. For people who have had a stroke, the ability to detect sensation correctly, if at all, can be impaired. And this causes some potential safety issues, for example, burning their hand or skin on the affected limb and not being able to feel it. For kids, this age is when they start to have the ability to tell the difference between when something feels hot or cold and when something feels wet or dry. The skill does not fall under the, it, it does fall under the area of fine motor skills, but I also feel like it has a very large language and cognitive component as well. It can be difficult to determine if a child is able to tell the difference between hot and cold accurately, especially if they have some cognitive or language delays. One of the easier ways to check this skill with kids is using two bowls of water. One will have very cold, ice-cold water in it, and the other one will have water that is, I would say, warm. Of course, we aren't going to test this with hot, hot water. We don't actually want anyone to get burned. But if you have really cold water and then warmer water, it should be enough of an extreme for them to tell the difference by touching each one. You can have them place their hand in one bowl of water, then the other, and go back and forth. But you can also have them put one hand in each bowl at the same time and see if they can tell the difference. You can also do an activity with wet and dry using so many different items like sponges or washcloths or paper towels, things like this, to practice learning which ones are wet and which ones are dry by the way that they feel. The idea with both of these concepts and activities is is that the water looks the same in both bowls and the sponges or washcloths will look the same in both bowls. So they can't use their vision to determine which one is which. They really need to touch them and feel them to determine what they feel like and figure out the differences. Of course, some things will look different because when they're wet versus dry, it might be darker or whatever. But because of their probably limited experiences, they still usually need to touch them just to make sure they can tell by feeling. Again, I believe there is quite a bit of cognitive abilities that come into play with this one, and a lot of three-year-olds will already understand the wet and dry thing because many of them will be potty trained by this age, so they may have an understanding of what it feels like to be wet on the skin. Even though for potty training, the wet feeling doesn't happen on their hands, it does happen on their skin. By the end of the third year, they're starting to be able to also determine the difference between rough and smooth objects, sticky and non-sticky objects, and things that are long or short, all based on touch. Being able to determine what things feel like without having the visual cues to tell you what is what helps us find the correct item in our pockets without pulling everything out and making a mess in order to be able to see them. You can reach in your pocket and find a quarter or find a hair tie just by feeling it with your hands. Now that in and of itself is not a life-changing skill, 
But think about getting into a bathtub or a shower. If the water is on so hot that it will burn or blister your skin when you step in it, and you can't feel that it's too hot and it's hurting your skin, that is a huge safety issue. Same thing with taking a bite of hot food or a drink of hot liquid like coffee or hot chocolate. It would be easy to burn the inside of your mouth if you can't determine by testing it out first with your finger or even just by bringing it up close to your mouth or your face to test it out. I won't get too much into this today, but you may have noticed this last example had to do with tactile, a tactile experience in and around the mouth area. But that's because this area is one place where even though we think of it as an oral sensory processing, there is a huge tactile component here also that helps with eating and talking skills. Definitely some things to think about with this. Okay, moving on. I have a research study that I would like to talk about before I finish up today's show. The study was called Research Scholars Initiative. Effectiveness of a Handwriting Readiness Program in Head Start, a two-group controlled trial. It was published in the American Journal of Occupational Therapy in 2011. The study involved children who were enrolled in a Head Start program. They used two classrooms from the same preschool for the study, and the kids were between the ages of four and five years old. One classroom classroom was the control, where nothing changed. They continued to use the regular Head Start preschool curriculum. And the other classroom was the experimental group. The experimental group classroom used the handwriting without tears, get set for school curriculum, in addition to their regular Head Start curriculum. Let me start first by making sure that we're all on the same page. For those of you who don't know what those programs are, I want to make sure and explain them. Head Start is a program funded by the United States Department of Health and Human Services, and the objective is to um, provide preschool for kids who are from low-income households to help them be more ready for school. They focus on cognitive, social, and emotional development. According to the study, quote, during the fiscal year 2009, Head Start served 904,153 children nationally and has served more than 27 million children since 1965, end quote. Also, for those of you who are not familiar with the Handwriting Without Tears program, it is a curriculum that helps to develop pre-writing and writing skills. It was developed by an occupational therapist and is used frequently by OTs in preschools and elementary schools to help children develop better writing skills. The approach to learning using this curriculum involves multi-sensory activities to help kids learn these skills. The Get Set for School piece of Handwriting Without Tears is specifically geared towards the preschool-aged kids to help them get ready for handwriting in elementary school. The research study wanted to look at three things. One was the handwriting without tears get set for school more effective than the traditional Head Start curriculum for teaching handwriting readiness skills. Two, 
quote, did using handwriting without tears get set for school lead to greater improvement in kindergarten readiness skills? And the third one, did handwriting without tears get set for school activities lead to improvement in handwriting nonspecific fine motor skills, end quote. The interventions in the study took place three times a week for six months during the school year. The teachers had follow-up activities they were asked to do with the kids the other days of the week. The interventions were led by occupational therapy graduate students. The two researchers for the study, who are both OTRs and professors at East Carolina University, and the classroom teacher. The results were based on a total of 32 participants. They were all within the, the ages 4 years, 0 months, to 4 years, 11 months old. However, the experimental group had 8 boys and 9 girls, while the control group had 10 boys and only 5 girls. The gender of the kids was the only real difference between the groups as far as age, race, and socioeconomic status. It was determined that there were no significant differences between the control and the experimental groups in their pre-testing scores. I should mention that they used three different tests to measure pre- and post-experiment levels of writing and fine motor skills. What they found was that both groups showed significant improvements in handwriting readiness skills at the end of the study. This does reinforce earlier studies that have shown Head Start programs to be effective in preparing preschool kids for school handwriting readiness, but the kids in the experimental group that received the handwriting without tears treatment with the OTs, in addition to the regular Head Start curriculum, showed significantly higher scores than the other group that only participated in the regular Head Start curriculum. After reviewing this research study, I appreciate that it provides us with scientific evidence for this topic, but when we sit back and take a look at it, it also kind of seems like common sense. If kids are getting extra practice with pre-writing and writing skills, I would expect them to be better than kids who aren't getting the extra practice. This is a motor skill after all, and a lot of times with motor skills, the more we practice, the better we are at that skill. I should also mention that I am not affiliated with the Handwriting Without Tears program in any way at all, financial or otherwise. I chose this article because, like I said, it gives us good scientifically based evidence for why we do what we do with kids as OTs. And hopefully, if anyone listening to the show works in a preschool, if you aren't doing these things already, maybe you can look into them and see what see about adding some additional curriculum to your schools as well. I am going to end there for today. Don't forget to check my website, mymidwesttherapy.com, to find the examples of those fine motor activities that I mentioned earlier. If you have any questions or comments, please send me an email at allison at mymidwesttherapy.com. And I will respond. I'm usually pretty fast at getting back to those people that send emails. I love hearing from you guys and getting your feedback on the shows and also just hearing about what other topics you would like me to go over. 
I'm always open for more ideas, and I really love to talk about what you guys are interested in hearing more about. Thank you so much for listening and continuing to follow me, and have a great day. Bye.